Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About This? I'm your host, Amberlee from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk, we're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. This episode is general information about pelvic floor and should not be taken as personal advice about your body. We highly recommend seeking personal advice from a women's health physiotherapist near you. So let's talk about ab separation then. Why do some women get it pretty severely and some don't even get any, I guess, postnatally? And what are some do's and don'ts when you have ab separation? Yeah. So this ab separation topic is so controversial um, and it seems Mm. to have gained so much momentum, um, you know, in this last five to 10 years. And I really think it's due to like social media. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's just start with what it really is. So an abdominal wall separation or it's um, called like a rectus diastasis. So it's just the widening of the area between your rectus abdominis, which is your six-pack muscles. So they Mm -hmm. don't um, they don't split or anything. You know, they don't tear. Um, It's just it it's like soft tissue in the middle of it, and it just stretches. So I think that's the first important thing because I like there's so much fear when people are like, oh, my abdominal muscles have split split apart and they've torn right like they're still attached it's just stretched apart Mm. um and it's something that has to happen while you're pregnant like in that we don't have room in our tummy normally so it is completely normal to get an abdominal separation in pregnancy um the amount of stretch that happens it's quite out of our control um, and it does, it depends on the size of your torso and the size of your baby. So mm. for example, like I'm quite small around the waist and if I have a big baby, I'm expecting quite a big separation and that's okay. Um, in compared to someone who might have a wider waist and then have like a small baby, they're not going to get separation or they might get a really mm-hmm. small one. Um, So I think that's the other thing that people don't really know. Um, There's still a lot we don't know about um, ab separation and all the studies are relatively new. But what we do know is that a lot of the healing actually happens in the first eight weeks after the delivery. Um, And so wearing support in that time, so like in support I mean, you know, like your um, high-waisted, you know, pants or like belly bands or just any support we don't know what's better than what and it just naturally kind of closes there's nothing we can do that we know at the moment that makes it happen faster do some little crunches to help bring it Mm. back in and we used to think crunches were bad Um, yes and we used to say yep don't don't do any ab work yeah so now they've done studies and think that if you do some little crunches um, it can help the recovery. 
But what we do know as well is that it's not linked to having a weak pelvic floor and it's not linked to um, having like pain issues um, and you can still be strong regardless if you've got a separation or not. Mm-hmm. So that's all good news. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Hemorrhoids. Mm. Uh, they, I, I find hemorrhoids when women, women aren't talking about them. And then when they are talked about, it's very embarrassing and shameful for that woman to be talking about them. Um, and they are quite common in terms of pregnancy and birthing and not spoken about enough. Um, can you tell us why, I guess, what they are and the treatment or management of hemorrhoids is? Yeah. So a hemorrhoid is literally just a swollen vein around like the lowest part of your rectum area or around your back passage. So it's like, mm. you know how you get varicose veins, like in your legs? Mm. It, that's what a hemorrhoid is, but it just happens to be in your back passage. Okay. Um, so they can present like at any time in someone's life, but in pregnancy and birth, there's like more pressure on that area. Um, you know, in a pregnancy, you've got extra weight and that weight happens to be around your back passage. And then in a delivery, you're literally like pushing a baby out. Mm. Um so there's going to be pressure at your back passage. So mm-hmm. they can be either like internal hemorrhoids or external ones. Um, internal ones don't tend to hurt as much because there's less like sensation and like nerves in the back passage mm-hmm. compared to the outer ones. Um, and then um, they, yeah, can be um, the outer ones can be painful, both can bleed, they can be like itchy. Um, you know, harder to clean after you do your bowel motion just because it's, um, you know, there's extra tissues there. Mm-hmm. And then treatment really depends on the severity of them. So it can range from things you do at home, like making sure you're not straining to empty your bowel, um, you know, getting more fluid so that you've got softer bowel movement, using like an ice pack to reduce the swelling. But then if they're beyond that um, and just not, settling down you can just speak to your pharmacist and get like a um a cream for them to directly put the cream onto it to try and help them shrink mm. and then if they're like recurrent and you know they're not going away and you know affecting your daily life then you get a referral to like a colorectal surgeon and they can have their input on if they need to be removed or not as the last yeah thing you can do. I did want to talk about cesareans in terms of recovery and maybe what you do in the first um, couple of weeks and then I guess beyond that and how that affects your cesarean incision or your scar and how much rest or activity or management is good um, in terms of repairing and healing your scar. Yeah. So I think people um, often forget that a cesarean is like an abdominal surgery. Like often I just remind people that when I see them and it kind of like a light bulb goes off in their head like, oh, yeah, I have just had like a major surgery Um, because they just think that they like once they don't have pain, they can just do it all because they haven't had like a vaginal delivery. Um, but yeah, in the, like in a cesarean, they have to go through seven layers of like muscle and tissue to get to the uterus. 
and then they like stitch up each of those layers individually um so there's like seven scars I guess you could say um and we want just to protect that healing um so I think it's about 12 weeks they normally say that that healing is then like at an okay stage um so in that first 12 weeks you do want to kind of um like you want to be like active but not you know going back to probably what you were doing in your pregnancy or or um you know before you had your baby um obviously you want to use pain as a guide as well so if you like you shouldn't be pushing through any pain um because that's like a number one sign that you're just not ready and then I've seen um some videos of physios teaching women how to I guess get feeling back or something in the cesarean section that where 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 you've had the surgery is this something all women who have had cesarean should be doing like it was like massage and poking and prodding and this sort of thing yeah so it's scar massage so if you think about any scar in the body um when it heals it kind of pulls the tissue around it into it um and so it can get quite tight so what we want to do is just make it as normal as normal compared to skin as possible so you just want to like do some gentle massage around the scar over the scar just so it moves well um like you don't Mm. want to be you know um six months down the track and be like you know turning or twisting and then feel like a pulling sensation in your tummy because your scars too tight right um yeah, and it also scars can be quite sensitive. So the other thing scar massage helps with is just desensitizing the area. And that can be done from three months or? Um, from when? It would be like six weeks. Yeah. Oh, scar, okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. Similar to. If you're not, that, if you're not scared to touch it. <laughs> yes, yeah. So once it's like completely healed, um, okay. yeah, and there's no, yeah. Once it's healed, you can start scar massage. Okay. Yeah, it's same as like your um, like perineal tears. You can massage those to desensitize them. Yeah, yeah same yeah. thing. Hmm. Okay, I wanted to talk about prolapse because the first time I ever heard this word was the physio coming to me in hospital to, I guess, chat to me about what is, what's happened in my birth. And she mentioned, you know, you don't want to prolapse, you're high risk. Um, This is kind of what we do. And she walked away and I'm still somewhat trying to process my birth, let alone what the heck a prolapse was. Um, So, you know, I I looked into it and I was like, oh, my goodness, people live with this. And then, you know, it's come out that it's happened to people around me. Um, And I really don't think that there's enough education about it. And I guess when um, a pelvic organ prolapse happens, this is what impacts quality of life and, I mean, it impacts mental health. It it impacts so many aspects of of a person's life. So I really do believe we're not talking about it enough. So who is at risk and are there cures? What's the treatment and management? Can you tell us about this? Yeah. So um, what what a prolapse is, is it it means that one of the organs in the pelvic area, so whether that be our bladder, 
our uterus or our bowel, instead of sitting where it normally sits, it's shifted down a little bit. Um, and so they're classified um, as to whether what organ has moved. So if it's a bladder, it's a cystocele. If it's a if it's a uterus that's shifted down, it's a uterine prolapse. And then a bowel one's called a rectocele. Um, so then they they range um, from like a a grade zero being like you don't have any prolapse to a four which is classified as like the organs pretty much coming out um, of the vagina. Um, I imagine that being quite traumatic. Often, Especially if you don't know what's going on. Yeah, but often because it, normally it's kind of a, a progression. Like you wouldn't just wake right. up with a grade four prolapse. Right. Yeah. Um, and like they really don't get, like you don't let it get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, so grade one and two, it's still like with like sits up in the vagina, um, and then like your grade three and four is when it starts to come out. Um, yeah, so like risk factors for it having yeah like instrumental deliveries can increase your risk. Um, it having the levator avulsion, like we spoke about earlier, that's um, it's quite a significant risk factor for prolapse. Um, and then, um, menopause and just aging, um, that's a risk factor because just, um, it's more common as you get older, um, particularly after menopause. Um, there's the genetic factors, which are risk factors, but then even things like just, again, your constipation, your high BMI, your chronic cough. Like I've seen people that have prolapse and they've had no children and they've just mm. um, been constipated. Like that's wow. Yeah, like it, it doesn't have to be related to um, being pregnant and having babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And then um, you also asked, I guess, about um, like management and treatment. And so I guess this really depends on um, – like the severity of it, what symptoms people are having, um, and most of all, most of um, <laughs> um, most importantly, um, what type of treatment the person's are after. Um, mm. Yeah, the hard thing with prolapse is that the amount a person feels and the degree of actual prolapse can vary so much. So I've assessed people that you know would have a grade three prolapse. So. Um, it's coming out of the vagina when they're bearing down, but they don't really feel it in their normal life and it doesn't really bother them. So like that compared to someone that has, you know, a grade one or two, so quite mild um, and they feel it a lot and it affects them a lot, those people's treatments are going to be quite quite different. Um so the options of treatment, it goes from like conservative management, um, which is the first line. So things like your lifestyle um, modifications. So, you know, try not to do all this repetitive lifting stuff. Don't strain on the toilet. Um, see a physio, start some pelvic floor exercises, um, you know, maybe get a pessary fitted. So those sorts of things. Um, so mm-hmm. like non-invasive things. Um, 
And then if you've, if you've done those things and it's not getting you to where you want to be, so you're still feeling symptoms, it's still bothering you, it's affecting you, you see a gynecologist and they talk about the surgical side of things. So that's kind right. of, yeah, the different ways you can go about it. So in terms of surgery, I don't think I hear good things. Is there like apparently you have to have multiple or they're, or they're quite repetitive every couple of years or they're not always successful? Is this true? So it it would depend on what surgery they do. Um, and okay. Yeah, this is so when you would see the gynae, they would assess you um, and then give you the options. And this is something that they then discuss with you in those consults. They'll be like, okay, we can do this surgery. Um, this is the su- success rate. This is the rate of it, you know, possibly failing. You might need to get it done again. Yeah, so before someone goes ahead with those, they should be well aware of all of those factors. And so you mentioned pessaries and I kind of wanted to talk about them a little bit more because they are being used as preventatives now, not just for prolapse management. And I'm finding that this is getting more and more common amongst, I guess, people that do high-intensity workouts and exercise like CrossFit and things like that or, or maybe even athletes who are female athletes lifting heavy weights um, or in my instance having a pessary because of my um, high risk of a prolapse and you know, lack of coordination or working on coordination. So having that extra support. Is is this something that's more common or it, would you just say it's just because people are more talking about it now or yeah. is this fairly new? Yeah, no, I think there definitely has been a shift in the role of um, pessaries and the um, role that pessaries play in prolapse. I think they always used to be just like a treatment um, method, um, so for people that have prolapse. But, yeah, certainly now we're tending to fit more in those higher-risk um, populations um, or, yeah, for people that are, you know, super keen runners but they've had a vaginal delivery, um, you know, with a tear and but they want to get back to running and that's what they love, like I can be um, more, um, you know, not satisfied, it's not the right word, but I can fit a pessary and then know that they are safer when they're running. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like peace of mind. Peace of mind, yes, that's the word. Very interesting because, yeah, you would never know any of these things. <laughs> no, and you wouldn't You wouldn't even know how many people are wearing pessaries walking down the street. Yeah. No, yeah. you wouldn't. But I think like before um, um, physios started to fit them, I think they were more fitted by gyne, gynecologists um, for your older people that have prolapse, that aren't mm. candidates for surgery, and they'd leave in these like, you know, hard prolapse, I mean, um, hard pessaries, and they'd just leave them in and wouldn't have intercourse or anything. They'd just have these pes- pessaries in, and that was that. Oh, wow. um, So, like, from thinking of that, they've come such a long way. Yeah. 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 Okay, so tell us then what a postpartum checkup with a, so I'm, I'm thinking the six to eight week mark look like with a women's health physio and 
if everything's fine at eight weeks and you get the A-OK, does this mean it's fine forever? Yeah, so I get this question a lot, actually. Um, So basically, um, in this appointment, I would be asking questions like all about your pregnancy, birth, recovery so far, as well as like your, your previous history. So like any other deliveries. Um, but we also would discuss like if you want to get back into exercise. Um, and from this, we're really just trying to figure out if you have risk factors that we need to make you aware of for your future. Um So then we'd go into like the assessment side of things and we really just want to know what your pelvic floor um, is like at the moment, Um, you know, or is your cesarean scar healing well or is your abdominal wall okay? So just all those things. Um, And all through this appointment, I try and just educate the mum on like why I'm doing all of this because some of the things they might just be like, okay, this isn't um, relevant, like why why are you doing this? You've just had a baby, you've been at home, you haven't really started much exercise. Um, So your body at that point, even though you have just had a baby, compared to like you're back at gym, you're going for runs, you've got a toddler and you're running after them, picking them up, like your your body, like it changes. Um, So that's why it is good to just check in. Yeah, like you said, you know, once a year, Um, just to like keep it all um, fresh in your mind and just know if anything's changing in your body. Yeah. Women that come to you and say they have dysfunction that I would say is quite severe. I think of things like prolapse and maybe fecal incontinence and things that that do it really impact significantly your life. Um, Do you see these women and I just, I just think of my friends that I know of that have gone in and they've just burst into tears and you kind of in a way become a little bit of a therapist and the fact that you've now got to kind of manage these big emotions as well as help them try and manage um, this, you know, life-altering um, diagnosis in terms of pelvic floor. Um, would you say that this is something that's quite common with women that come to you with severe dysfunction? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Like it's that Mm. area of our body. Um, it's like a, you know, a very emotional area. Um, and these things that can happen, like can be very, um, life altering and affect just what you're used to doing in your normal life. Um, things that kind of, you would have taken for granted just because you didn't have an issue. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it, like I do see people get very emotional and that's why like as a women's health, um, physio, like you've just got to be so, um, sensitive and empathetic towards these people. I guess it just takes like, um, you know, a personality type to be in this field. Um, Mm. yeah, yeah. And so something I've, uh, I, I guess I know about you as a, as a practitioner is, you're very aware around the language you use with your patients. And do you think that this is important? Yeah, this is like so important. And um, it's like one of my biggest hates, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I see so many people in such like fear about their diagnosis. Um, so like often I spend like, most of the first session, just like reassuring them and re-educating them to try and like reverse this absolute fear um, that people have. Um, you know, even just like if I think back 
to this week. Like I had someone who's had a third degree tear and she's gone for, you know, her check um, with the gynecologist and they've obviously been busy. They're doing it all day and they just, you know, like she's in pain to start with and they put a speculum in and (gasps) she told me, yeah, she was, yeah, crying um it's traumatic yeah Yeah. and then they yeah say you've got a weak pelvic floor and I can see prolapse and then yeah she like you know comes to me um yeah in absolute like fear and then Mm -hmm. I have to just like be like it's all gonna be okay um and just like explain it all to her and yeah like she will be fine like it Mm. yeah you can recover great yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, we need to just keep trying to shift our language and just kind of take extra time, no matter how busy we are, just to like rethink what you're trying to say and say it in like the most sensitive way. Um, yeah, prolapse is one of like the biggest terms that as, as soon as someone says the word prolapse, like you Google it and then you see like worst case scenarios. And that that can that can affect the way that they think about their diagnosis and I guess their future. Yes, absolutely. That's where you, mm-hmm. I think you start to, like when I would assess someone and see just a very mild prolapse, um, like, uh, and I would consider it normal for after having a baby, but this person would be told that they've got prolapse. And so then, mm. yeah, like it, then changes in your brain and you're like prolapse prolapse um Mm -hmm. that creates its own issues yeah Mm -hmm. it's huge just from like using one term yeah it's important for I guess practitioners not to become so casual or complacent Mm -hmm. because it is really the first time your patients may be hearing about these things (laughs) so being so casual about them can really impact the way that they're thinking yeah and then if you mention it and don't then explain it what's the person Mm -hmm. like what else is the person going to do they're going to go to google and write what is prolapse so I wanted to then talk to you about the grading of pelvic floor strength um so I know this is something that women's health physios generally do um should you be worried if you fall into a certain category in terms of grading or is it not about the grading? Yeah, so I guess when we go through physio, we learn to grade a muscle, um, muscle's overall strength between the grades of like zero and five. So zero is no contraction, so like you can't feel anything. Um, and that's where we're more thinking like a nerve has been injured. Um And then a five would be the strongest um, strength. Um, And then they just go up between there. Um, So this number system, it does like, it definitely gives us an idea of the strength, but how I grade a grade three might be different to another physio with, you know, maybe they haven't felt as much as many pelvic floors. So their grade three might be slightly different to mine. So I think we just have to remember that it's not the be-all and end-all as well. Um, But in terms of like does the numbers matter, it really I guess depends on what your issue is. If your main issue is that you've got a weak pelvic floor, then you want to get a a stronger pelvic floor. So then you want to move up in that number scale. But if your pelvic floor is too tight um, and you're getting pain, then we don't even grade it because 
Like it's not a strength issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not the be end all. No, it's not. It's, yeah, I think people get a little bit caught up in just trying to get a strong pelvic floor, but Mm -hmm. it's not all about strength. Okay. So we have kind of touched on menopause throughout our chat today. And so how important are our actions now and our strength now and what we're doing now for menopause, so our future self? And why do women in menopause have these terrible statistics? You know, it's almost like 50-50 with incontinence or pelvic floor, other pelvic floor issues. Yeah, so I guess if we just first, like, what is menopause? It's like our body, it's, it's not ovulating anymore. So then we have like a huge change in our hormones because it doesn't need that reproductive system. So we don't have, like we get a huge um, decrease in our estrogen and progesterone. Um, And so these, like with the change in these hormones comes so many effects on our body. Um, So like our um, bone mass, um, like it decreases. So then we're at a higher risk of like osteoporosis and our overall muscle mass, like just through our body decreases. Um, and then there's the strength element. So our pelvic floor strength is affected. Um, and then we just have to remember as well that like, as we age, like we get a normal strength decrease. So they say like our muscle strength is at its peak in in our like 20 to 30s and then it deteriorates like 5% per decade. So I guess it's like a combination Mm -hmm. of factors. Um, But then like menopause can affect like our our bladder and vagina because the connective, like the estrogen affects our connective tissue. So it's not as like elastic and plump. So then, um, you know, we need to go to the toilet more often um, and we get some urgency with our bladder and we get more UTIs. Like it's all these mm. other just little things and it like it comes from the hormonal changes. Um, and like at the vagina, like because we don't have the estrogen, like our vagina gets dry um, and it gets like inflamed and irritated and so then you can get pain with intercourse would you say with the current statistics that we have about women I guess above 50 and heading into that menopausal stage would it have mattered how they birthed and how they recovered I guess what I'm trying to say is like you know like there's women around me who have never seen a physio before who have birthed all of these babies and who are back at F45, you know, eight weeks postpartum sort of thing and they're, they're hammering it, they're going at life, it's all happening and they have no symptoms and they might go throughout their life with no symptoms but then possibly hit menopause and go, oh, what's this? What's happening? Yeah, I see um, a lot of people at that kind of perimenopausal, postmenopausal age. And, yeah, I absolutely want to know about their deliveries. And, yeah, mm. I think that definitely is a, a huge thing that I always say like it kind of catches up with you at menopause. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like if you rehab your body well after your babies and then like maintain that, um, you know, function and, be on top of any signs and symptoms, then your body will love you for it at menopause. Yeah. 
So I wanted to ask you, because I, I chat to a lot of women who feel like they kind of slipped through the cracks in terms of the maternal system in hospitals post-birth. And a lot of these women, a physio never even came and visited. Um, you know, obviously they had no uh, severe tearing or cesarean or anything like that. And then I chat to other women who have had like significant birth trauma and they were told to just do their Kegels. And this is kind of the only advice they've been given from the physio in hospital. And then by the time, you know, they hit the eight weeks, um, they have dysfunctional or pelvic floor issues. Do you think the standard of care and education by physios in the in the maternal system be better? We Do we need to be changing things? Yeah, so it's a really tricky one. Like I definitely see your point. Um, I guess being someone like I've I've worked on maternity wards in both like public hospitals and private hospitals in you know Brisbane, London, um, and it seems to be like that each hospital um, kind of has their own processes of how how the postnatal um, maternity ward works. Um, and it, it's things that like are above my head in that it's things like funding, business cases, mm-hmm. you know, r- resources. Um, so there's a lot of ins and outs I don't know about how it's set up. Um, mm-hmm. But like the hospital that I worked at in Brisbane, um, we saw every single person after they had their baby, regardless of delivery type, um, even if, if we missed them, like, we had this like process of we'd like get their details, we'd like give them a call mm. and it had to be within two weeks of them going home. Like it was very like a good process. Um, but I think there's just like it kind of comes down to there's so many mums delivering babies um, that like you've got to get to like all the mums within the day. And so often it is just like that kind of shorter treatment um, and we're kind of like screening for those higher risk mums. Like that's who we want to mm. catch because we know that they're more likely to get issues. Um, so we mm. would then offer, you know, or get them to come back rather than your person who had like your textbook delivery. Um, but it is flawed in that we don't know that they're not going to get an issue. So I guess it's just like we're doing like, everyone's doing the best they can um and there's a real lack of when it comes to supply and demand in terms of women's health physios there's not enough it, I, I hear this yeah but it also shouldn't be the first time women are hearing about their pelvic floor <laughs> yes, yes. like there's so yeah. many aspects to it yeah and I guess the other thing on the postnatal award is like think back to like day one after you had your baby when there's a lot going on people are like in mm-hmm. and out of your rooms um, you're sleep deprived, you're in pain. Like, I don't know if it's the best time for this, you know, physio to be marching on in, being like, okay, you've got to do some pelvic floor exercises. How's your bladder? How's your bowel? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't. This should be in birthing classes. <laughs> yeah, like people, it's not the best time to like take on that information. Or it should just be throughout, hey, like we were saying before, yeah. like this should be a conversation throughout pregnancy or yeah. preconception even, you know. Yeah, so it's not. Um, where are you at in terms of your yeah. pelvic floor? And yeah, yeah. So, Claire, tell me, what hopes do you have for the future of women's health? 
I guess we just need more and more awareness, like what you're doing, um, and like education on all these issues that we've talked about today. Um, I think we've like come a long way, but definitely still have a long way to go. And I just love to have, um, for people to have more access to like experienced pelvic health professionals Mm. and this just to be like your normal routine thing instead of people like having to wait for their symptoms or problems it would be so great for women just to have routine antenatal and postnatal appointments you know like Mm -hmm. one physio appointment per trimester or something like that Mm -hmm. in pregnancy just so that you can take on all the information um, you know, if we think about like a pregnancy, there's so many midwifery appointments focused on like the baby's health. But I often think like, what about the, what about the mama? Yeah, <laughs> um, I often think that. <laughs> yeah. And the same with after, like you've just delivered your baby and then you have your six week post, um, six week check with your GP. And the majority of it's about the baby's health, which like yeah. very important, obviously. Um, but some, like sometimes the GP doesn't even check your pelvic like your stitches or whatever it is um it would just be like oh how are you feeling um so I think yeah if it would be great just for to get more awareness to just reach out and yeah get help Mm. that's something birthtrauma.org is trying to work on as well they have a, a petition that they're lobbying to the government to get more um I think it's antenatal but mostly postnatal appointments with women's health physios because the French have something like yeah. 10 appointments or something and, yeah, that's kind of what they're fighting for is yeah. uh, quite the same. So they're doing wonderful things in that space. Um, but there's been so much in this episode and I really hope our listeners not only learn something but actually take the time to connect and be mindful of their pelvic floor and recognise signs and symptoms of dysfunction if they have it and go and do something about it. But also, if you've never seen a women's health physio, go and see one. Get an assessment done. Um, So thank you, Claire. I appreciate all your time. This has been amazing. No problems. It's been great chatting, and I hope people have learnt something. (laughs) They will. They will. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.